This is the Blatcast. A sometimes fast-paced but usually meandering look at the world. Hosted by Christian Blatt. So please, dim your lights, silence your phones, return tray tables to their upright and locked positions, and get ready for what is quite possibly the longest hour, or shortest two hours and 56 minutes of your life. Your host, because he won't let anyone else do it, Christian Blatt. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Blattcast, a uh, very special standalone Mando cast. As always, I am Christian Blatt, uh, joined for the moment by Happy Go Jackie, the happiest, goiest, jackiest around, Frank Moran. Frank, thank you for being here on the show. Christian, I am honored to be able to do two of these back to back. Uh, uh, subsequent nights with you. It's an honor. Due to uh, the way that the time-space continuum works, uh, our audio audience is uh, going to hear our Picard wrap-up after this one uh, because <laughs> the Picard wrap-up is going to be uh, overstuffed. It'll be like an Oreo triple stuffed. It'll be mm. filled with a lot of different conversation. But tonight, you and I are going to be speaking about The Mandalorian Season 3 and uh, an old friend from the AfterBuzz days pops in. Ivan Soto says, Frank from AfterBuzz, I've missed you. Haven't we all? I saw Frank yesterday, and I've missed him as well. So, Ivan Soto, the feeling is more than mutual. I am uh, glad that uh, Ivan found when we were doing this show, because uh, he showed up in multiple chats, and he's like, when are you doing a Mandalorian show? I'm like, we're doing it after. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to do this week to week. Um I think the interesting thing about uh, season three of The Mandalorian is um, the sharp decline from season two. Season two ended, you know, one of the most amazing endings for you know season finales of a show. Luke Skywalker shows up, you know, and uh, it's just like something that I, I don't think I expected that we were going to. I mean, as that episode went along, you started to suspect, well, maybe, and, you know, you saw the X-Wing and all that. But I mean, it was like, I think that the episodes of The Mandalorian, I'm sorry, the episodes of Book of Boba Fett with Mando in it might have been better than this entire season. You know, there's there's points, there's things I like, there's characters I like, we'll talk about all of it. But in terms of like actual like, wow, that was great. Uh, it's a it's a sharp decline for me personally from both of the first two seasons. Uh, I love both of the first two seasons. Uh, you know, the first 16 episodes of the series, because uh, we, you know, we, we only we only deserve eight episodes of The Mandalorian. And sometimes they're 37 minutes. And if you're lucky, they're 43. Um, <laughs> where where are you at as we look back on season three of The Mandalorian compared to where you were at the end of the first two seasons that were previous to this? Uh, I, I mean, certainly I fet like one and two were just on a really nice upward trajectory for me. And so at the end of uh, season two, I mean, who, you know, seeing Luke Skywalker, it was great. You know, yeah. uh, you know, the 
the effects work aside to be able to recreate a young Mark Hamill, you know, not always perfect, but I was still willing to go along for the ride. On that. No, but it's just amazingly well done. It was not perfect, but I was just, it was like creepy. Actually, it made me you know really worry about the future of entertainment that you can create people out of thin air, you know? Now, how did you feel about Book of Boba Fett being taken over for pretty much like two episodes by Mando's storyline? Would you rather have had that? take place in the Mandalorian series proper or do you not mind? That? Yeah, but book of Boba Fett was such a slog. I appreciated the detour. Uh, you know, yeah. I did not expect uh, that, you know, the cool Mandalorian, the bounty hunter, the biggest badass in the star Wars universe would get his own series. And you'd go like, wow, he's really boring. Like I, I didn't expect that at all, <laughs> you know. Especially when you know the the setup for Book of Boba Fett. You want to talk about the end of Mando season two? You know, he kind of he kills Bib Fortuna, who's had it coming since nineteen eighty three. You know, so uh, you know it. it uh, I think they needed to tie up a little. You know, they needed to address some Mandalorian stuff to be able to have him interact with Boba Fett, you know? And I think that uh, that team up was great, you know, sort of the, the end of that season of Boba Fett, but for the sake of this show, him deciding to not train with Luke and getting to see Ahsoka, uh, that all should have happened in the season of the Mandalorian, not in random, you know, it's like for people who read comic books, it was almost like you'd get those fill in issues. You're like, well, what is this? It's a completely right. different creative team. It's like about different <laughs> characters. It's like TV shows do a backdoor pilot. It's like if there hadn't been a Mandalorian show, this would have been how they tried to pitch it to us. Uh, what do you think? Did you think it would have uh, we would have been better served had those storylines happened within the context of the Mandalorian? It's yeah. I mean, I like the idea of what John Favreau and Dave Filoni want to do with they kind of hey, this is all under one umbrella and stories can happen everywhere. Right. Uh, but I think the, the challenge with the Book of Boba Fett was, unlike Mandalorian, which kind of came in and, uh, with a clean slate. This is a new character that we had never seen before, so we didn't have, while we're excited about a Mandalorian-led show, there wasn't any of that, those preconceived expectations. Unlike Boba Fett, who, after Return of the Jedi, everybody is in their head, had ideas for how he could have escaped the Sarlacc pit. Whether it was in the comics picking up the story or books... Uh, those ideas have been building for so long since, you know, what, 83. And so yeah. I feel like everybody, by the time this comes out, everybody was so like, yes, I, this is the, I want to see these things that all these stories that have been kind of in my head or I've read about over the years brought to life on screen. And when it didn't happen in the way that, uh, I feel like people were kind of like, oh, so he's just going to hang out with some, some Tuscan Raiders for a few episodes and then. Yeah, which was the, uh, which I thought was interesting until they kill until they killed them off. And I'm like, but that was yeah, in interesting as a story. But the amount of time that was spent with them, you know, the the dances with Tuscans, you know, the dances with wolves storyline that we yeah. got there. Uh, yeah, I think that from the time we got Mandalorian as a series and we got to know Dinjarin, we're like, oh my gosh, how great would it be if Boba Fett were to show up in the show? And then you get him, and then the episodes he's in Mandalorian, which is kind of like what you wanted out of him. But then it's like, oh, maybe he'll get his own show. And then you're like, oh, he shouldn't have gotten his own show, should he? So, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, 
the the bloom was already off the rose a little bit for the Mandalorian because of the fact that the Book of Boba Fett show was just for me personally it was really was really a letdown. And uh, unfortunately, in the grand scheme of things, this was also a, a letdown, which is not to say that there aren't some things that we can focus on that went well. Uh, our pal Ivan Soto uh, does say Mandalorian season three is my least favorite as well. Don't get me wrong. I still liked it, but it's definitely not my favorite. Yeah, there's we'll talk about things that, that we felt worked on it. Uh, but at the same time, it, it's just a letdown because the first two seasons I was so excited about, you know, and, well, and I mean, John Favreau said that. Uh, there is a like gap of two years that supposedly Grogu yeah. spent with Luke on that planet, which right. uh, is great in theory, but at watching it, you don't really get that sense of time because really the only time we saw him without Grogu is for that you know part of that first episode that he was in the book of Boba Fett. Yeah, and then after that, you know, they kind of just start on their path to reuniting again. So we never really get to spend any time with Mando solo to see right. like how he's reflecting about like you know being without Grogu and what the, what those changes are. So it didn't feel like two years, even though we're supposed to just and, believe that. And when you say solo, no pun intended, but <laughs> speaking of reunions, uh, stepping in right now is our pal, uh, Kate Cornell, Caitlin. Hi! Thank you for being here with us. Thank you. Uh, Sorry. I'm late. It. Uh, that's all right. Uh, time is, uh, you know, it, it's really just a construct of, of our minds <laughs> and things. Uh, we uh, are still having sort of the, the general uh, part of our conversation, cool. uh, sort of just the big picture. Uh, we're talking about just how great the first two seasons of the show were and yeah. the excitement level <laughs> and how the Mando episodes of Book of Boba Fett like really stood above the rest of Book of Boba Fett. Uh, how did you feel just on the whole before we start going into the specifics, Kate? Uh, how did you feel season three measured up to the previous two seasons? I don't feel like it did. And I think there was a, a, a reason for it. Uh, there were rumors going around and I don't know if they're true, but it makes it seem like they are more true than not true. Um, but I don't know if, if switching the protagonist from Din Djarin to Bo-Katan was always in the cards because it is a Dave Filoni project and that is his character. Yeah. And it is about the Mandalorians and the Mandalorian covert. Um, Unfortunately, I think the the passing of the torch, um, a little bit literally taken in episode six, um, was not the best thematic handoff that could have happened. If you were going to hand off who the Mandalorian was in this season and take away a character that everyone has come to know and adore, um, I think I think it deserved a little bit more story than that and a little bit more respect than that. And I don't think that the writing hit it on the level that they needed it to. Um, and I think the fans were very vocal about that, which is why after, you know, in Star Wars Celebration, they had suddenly announced that there was going to be a movie about Din Djarin um, because they knew that they didn't give that character the send off that they needed to. Um, so I hope Dave Filoni does a really good job with this character that has ignited reignited the passion for the star Wars universe. And that a lot of characters and a lot of people really love and a lot of fans really love. Um, but we just, we don't know. Um, but the, it's been very clear that the Mandalorian TV show is going to be now more about Bo-Katan. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, it, it's probably 
going, you know, I mean, who knows exactly, but uh, I feel like it, he's, he wasn't the primary focus no. uh, this season. And uh, the second she was saw it? the mythosaur in see in episode two, it was like, Oh, that's it. That's over now. Yeah. Right. And then there's also the, this there's, what was it? Episode four that wasn't about any of them, you know? And it was like, uh, it was like, I actually didn't uh, day, mind that day, day, days of our lives, Coruscant edition. And uh, that story in and of itself was, was fine. But the fact that it was 85% of that episode and, and there was like interesting things happening with the Mandalorians at that point. Yeah, and it was they, episode, it was episode three. It was the, right. the convert. Yeah. The, the detour uh, that they took from the main storyline was the first time where I was like, I'm like, I'm kind of interested in this, but not when they gave it to me. You know, other, I really want wanted yeah. uh, I wanted more of the storyline where we were, and they kind of bookended that episode. And uh, again, I was talking earlier, Frank, about filling issues of comics. There was another time where I felt like they were like, "What? What is this? Are they trying to trying to spin off? Uh, you know, this? Uh, you know?" And look. I in real life legitimately adore Tim Meadows. Uh, he was the, one of the nicest people when I was an intern at Saturday Night Live. Uh, I was so happy to see him join the Star Wars universe. But at the same time, I was like, "What? What is this?" Again, it's not bad, but it's just he, like these. This should have been like a web series or a short or something. What were you going to say, Kate? I disagree. I the amount of okay. How do I put this? This is the most, the first two seasons for me were Dave Filoni's, this is why the prequel series is as good as it is. We get why the M count is needed. We get why force healing is important. Like we get a lot of the things because that's his kind of goal. That was his goal with the Clone Wars was the prequels were really good guys. And you have to like just understand how important it was to build up the Jedi the Jedi and then have them come crashing down again and then to spend more time with them in the Clone Wars and Rebels and the, the, the hit becomes more palpable and the amount of world building they did and world expansion they did in season three because we stayed with Din Djarin for the first two episodes episode three I think came out of nowhere for a lot of people but given how much world building they did and world expansion they did to kind of connect prequel to main series to sequel series they're now starting to bridge the gap they're starting to bring in um the necromancer project wh where they were trying to bring snow and palpatine back and like why the cloning was important they brought in the pirates which in the lore of star wars is they used pirates the ex-empire used pirates to destabilize the outer rim and then the mid rim so that people wanted more order and more structure and so they were more willing to throw money behind um imperial forces to keep them safe but they were that line in the in the last episode where it's like the pirates didn't do their job in navarro oh shoot what did we like did we pay them enough and like they were supposed to it connects the pirates to the imperials which is super important and having the mind flare which is a huge part of star wars lore which is what cara dune was so scared of in the first season and we see why she was so scared of it and see the destabilization and how fractured the political system is in the New Republic to see why the, the First Order could actually take power again after so little time. Everything kind of makes sense. It just came out of nowhere for a lot of people. And then you yeah. have the amnesty program being brought up in the third episode, which comes back in the sixth episode. But the sixth episode didn't hammer in why any of those things were important. 
Like if you, if Jack Black did not say that he was part of the amnesty program, I don't think a lot of people would have caught it because in the direction and the character building, it didn't really make any sense, but it's like, you needed that doubt being sewn into the world little by little by little by little, because a rebellion, even if it's an evil one, the imp Imperials taking them over back over again, it doesn't happen in one fell swoop. It happens little by little. And we're getting right. a little by little in this show, which is and, awesome. And I think, uh, you know, getting little hints of, uh, you know, the the first question that you can ask when you see the sequel trilogy. The first question, of course, is why? But then once you're actually sitting there and watching the movies, the question then becomes, well, how did that happen? You know, how does the First Order rise to power? And so that is an interesting thing. And uh, I think that you're absolutely right with Dave Filoni's uh, focus on the prequel series, and it could even be generational. Perhaps you feel that uh, they were also great. What I think about the prequel series is that they're better than most people remember, but they are they are still just in, incredibly flawed in the the story, the, the way that they tell the story. The stories are actually uh, all interesting, uh, but uh, it, it's a it's a little tough to navigate as the, the as someone who showed the original three films, as someone who showed the original three films to a seven year old uh, in the past year. Uh, it's very hard to think taking on. Uh, well, now you're going to go see trade negotiations and filibusters in the Imperial Senate and, uh, you know, just really racist trade negotiators and and Watto, you know. So there's 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 issues with them. But I, I do like a lot of the elements of the story. And. Uh, to sort of circle back on some of that, Frank, um, how did you feel when they devoted so much time in an episode of an eight, you know, an episode in an eight episode series? And it was, I don't know, it was probably what, like 30 of 40 minutes or something to a storyline that I, I, I wasn't disinterested in. It's just I didn't want it when I got it is really what I was trying to say. Well, how did you feel about the placement of that in in episode three? And uh, we can uh, we there's somewhere in here. There was. Yeah, here's the comment from Ivan Soto. We'll just leave that up while we talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, sorry for our audio audience. It says I hated episode three so much. I just it's OK. That. I'm going to need a an entire therapy session on episode six. So, <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm, I'm waiting. You you referenced it, but I'm like, I'm not even going to dive into that just yet. So. Uh, no, I, for, I mean, somebody who loved Andor and just uh, just seeing Agreed. the inner workings of the Empire. Yeah, uh, I was excited when Episode Three came along. It's like, oh, this is cool. We can kind of see what the state of uh, both the the Empire and uh, the New Republic are at this point, and just see what's happening. I just, I just wish that it had been paid off more throughout the uh, the course of the season. I just felt like it was it excited me, and then it just didn't really for me kind of filter through enough of the season to really kind of like impact me. I was like, oh, I want to like this more but it just didn't pay off. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it ties into the reveal that Moff Gideon's still around, but it's like, as soon as it's like, yeah, you know, he never went to trial. I'm like, okay, well, we know he'll be back, you know, but I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, uh, I mean, that was like, I felt like the Moff Gideon stuff. I, I, I felt it was just short shrift on him to do it. Just like those really quick last two episodes. I really wish that had been seated earlier in the season and just we kind of get chances to really build up to that. Also like it was so fast. Episode seven was called the spies and we yeah. only got one spy. Where's the <laughs> other one? Where's the plural of the spy? They're, they're, I wish still out there. Caitlin rewrite. We Caitlin, we yeah, all know Caitlin please. likes to rewrite crap on this show. I would have had the armor be a spy. And what oh. the way they edited I thought it. it would have been so much cooler if there was someone in the covert allow it because like she's the one that's like mandalore's curse you, mandalore's curse you can't go 
Yeah, and she's and we see the it's deliberately edited to see her in the ship flying back up yeah. through the atmosphere. We're spending so many yeah. times on those shots, like you're like we're tipping visually at least that there's something up with the armor and nothing happens. Yeah, right. No, exactly. That was one of those too that that I was just like, we're getting this for a reason, and it's like, well, you know, not not really. Isn't that doesn't make. And then it makes sense where it's like it would be more interesting for like I wish that Din would figure stuff out. Like it was mostly like him on the like his random knowledge of be, like the Ugnaughts because it's like oh yeah remember season one when we all loved Queel? <laughs> remember that guys? I, I, well, I I did I did like the uh, the callback to I have spoken. That was one of that. It was like that but, to me that was a better catchphrase yeah. than this is the way. You know, just the thing. way. That, well, it, okay. It, it, the right. And the fact that the Ugnats don't speak in Empire Strikes Back, by the way, you know, the this sort of idea that, like, oh no, no, they can talk. Just, uh, you know, they were probably having some kind of labor dispute in Bespin, and you know, Lando <laughs> was in the middle of renegotiations and feel, stuff. I also feel like "I have spoken" is not an Ugnat phrase; it is a Queel phrase because he was a, was an indentured servant so yeah. to not have a voice because he didn't have an opinion because he was a slave basically i have spoken as him retaking back his voice and his opinion now that he's earned his freedom so i'm not sure and because none of the other not said it like i'm not sure <laughs> like i feel like it's like i i i feel like they took a huge part of queel as a character away from him by making it substandard because you don't see any other Ugnat saying it. You only right. know Queel. Yeah, no, it's uh, if, I, if I, another I, Ugnat said like, we're not going to help you. And I have spoken. Um, and then they, they take it back and, and, and then Din puts it together or Jaren because Jaren is apparently his first name now. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize that what? Din was the title. Yeah. And, and Din, well, Din is the I don't know. I mean, it's like the, uh, it's like the way that uh, Asian names are presented, where the the surname actually goes first, you yeah. know. So maybe that's it's just there. Yeah, you know. But the Grogu way is now. But to, to go back Din. to why this is the way is the thing. It's the Jedi always represented like the the cat the the Christianity side of of the lore. Sure. And the Mandalorians were the Jewish side. I never really thought of it that way. The but, Torah uh, translates to the no, way. No, I know it. Yeah. They have uh, the hyper orthodoxy versus the casual practitioners yeah. they're spread out in a diaspora like stars in the galaxy like there's yeah. very there's very clear connections to this lore connects to this lore and this lore connects to this lore even if they're not equal or they're not completely representative that's the base that they're taking it from so yeah because it's not only uh can you only eat kosher food you have to leave your helmet on the whole time while whole you time. eat so good luck figuring it's it out like the uh, hat yeah. <laughs> uh, I I do want to before we sort of dive into what worked about this season. I I will talk about for me the uh, the low point is episode six, which is entitled "Guns for Hire." That was the moment when the Mandalorian decided it needed to turn into the love boat of the Star Wars universe. Because look, we've in already Disney had World. Carl, we've already Disney. had Carl Weathers a number of times, including in this season. I love seeing Apollo, but oh it's God, like yeah, we got Christopher Lloyd. Love seeing Christopher Lloyd. The man in we, the DeLorean became the Mandalorian. The man, 
<laughs> got a bell for that one. Yes! Uh, and, uh, you know, so, so we have Christopher Lloyd. We have Jack Black, who, uh, you know, you know, in full Jack Black. And we have Lizzo for reasons unbeknownst to me. I, I, I don't know anything about her music. I just know what I've heard. I'm like, oh, that's not for me. I'm glad other people like it. So I, I don't have like a problem with yeah, it's not a problem with Lizzo. It, it, you know, it's just more like, all right, but but you know why? And it was just like, I think you know, guest arc when they don't feel gimmicky. And I was mm. like, oh, this this was like the biggest gimmick of, of you know, this is <laughs> this is WWE style gimmickry. What did you think, Frank, of episode uh, six? Yeah, it's uh, for as much as like it's irritating that we're citing like this kind of stunt casting, but at least. Jack Black and Christopher Lloyd have the acting chops to make me at least buy into that they're part of this fabric uh, sure. of, the, of the universe. Lizzo, uh, bless her, just, just, yeah, it just, she just didn't have the acting chops to really make me buy that she was part of this universe and was the character that she was supposed to be in this episode. Yeah, it's like when you see that they're giving away a walk-on role on a show, you know, and uh, somebody wins a contest, and you're just like, did like Lizzo's fans just enter a contest like a million times so that she could get on the episode? And I think and, having uh, so many cameos, yeah, well, that, in one episode as opposed to like yeah. them fanning it out. Yeah, I really think that odd. that's really that it would have helped if it was over a, a few different episodes, you know. Uh, I'm glad that uh, Tim Meadows wasn't in that episode because then I'd have to call him out too, you know? So I'm glad that he, he got to, uh, and then also, I, I don't know. I mean, that's like, those are the episodes that feel, you know, the conceit of this show is in a lot of ways, it is like Western, you know, you kind of stranger comes into town, has to help with some problems and then moves on. Uh, and, and I think that that was definitely one of those. Uh, but it was it was just it was a weak story that specific story you know that they they have to oh we'll give you the information you need as long as you help us with our problem christopher lloyd is the bad guy at the heart of it and uh it that feel felt more like a waste of time than the diversion to other characters that weren't mandalorian in episode three uh so yeah i i just felt like the stunt casting is is the blatant problem with that episode, but it also was a fairly weak episode. Would you agree with uh, either of those assessments, Caitlin? I would, but I I, I want to expand on it because people who are who under, who know who I am on the channel know that I'm a, a filmmaker, I'm a screenwriter, and a director, and just the story structure was really jarring in this one, and not jarring in a good way. It's jarring. <laughs> yeah, not um, jarring. Not jarring. And, and um, also not uh, Dodgers Spanish language broadcaster uh, Jamie Harin, Hemi Harin. You know, mm. So it's none of those things. It's spelled no. the same way. It's none of those. So, yeah. Go ahead. so the uh, from the from everything that had been established for, between episodes one through five, we already know what the amnesty program is because it was in episode three. We know that there were imperial officers who are being rehabilitated by the New Republic, and we know that the New Republic. Um, is not taking the Outer Rim seriously. And we know that there are planets, Navarro not included, who have signed this charter and what the charter means. So we have a lot of already pre-established things in the world that the world building is giving us from the last five episodes. And then to episode six takes all of them and chucks them out the window <laughs> and decides we're going to mention all these things, but they're not going to have any weight. So Jack Black's character, which God love you if you remember what his name was, 
um, was in the amnesty program. And you wouldn't know unless he said it. There's no close up on the badge. There's no anything. And he's right. wearing the pin, the same one that they're all wearing in episode three. Um, has he weaseled his way in to um, the Duchess's heart to take over her continent to be a base, a landing base or a trade hub for ex-imperials so they can start rebuilding their planet or rebuilding their forces, even though they're not allowed to have an army on the planet? What is it actually for? They have a lot of battle droids that he's rehabilitated, but can they be called at any time? We don't know. Because no weight was put on what these characters were actually doing and no doubt was placed in the world itself where it's like, is there a bigger story happening here or is this really just a one-off? Because Lizzo's character in the Duchess could have worked if she was either A, annoying slash irritating enough <laughs> to be like, why is Jack Black with her if not for her power? Or naive enough to believe that everyone can be rehabilitated or both. And then have that be, you know, the constant friction where it's like, yes, honey, I know daddy's talking to the, the people that are going to take over. Also, you needed the, them to not want to talk to the Mandalorians right away. Because what is preventing them from going to the Mandalorians right away is they're keeping them there because the monorail won't take them that far. So right. they need to keep them away for a purpose as opposed to it being like, well, we need you to solve our problem for us. Can you do it? And if you're going to use any genre, there's no real visual kinesis, like synchronicity in any of these episodes, the same as, as seasons one and season two, Western Samurai. There's no visual language that is the same, except for this episode is very clearly cop drama, forensic drama. And none of those directing tactics were employed correctly to make it feel like that, to make it feel like an out of world experience, to make it feel like this is really weird. So we're left with none of the characters mean anything. Nobody really matters. So the second you get to the privateers, the real guns for hire, the story that you really want, they have to wrap it up really quickly. And Din Djarin decides to treat the Darksaber like the Elder Wand, I guess, which if that's really true, if you watched Rebels, the real owner would be Kenobi. Because he's the one who defeated Darth Maul. So that doesn't make any sense <laughs> anymore. So like they're starting to rewrite things on the fly. But none of it had any weight. So I think that's why episode six didn't have the impact that it should have. Right. Because so many changed happens. To, so much change happened to the story in this episode. And none of it meant anything. And none of it meant anything for the larger story or a larger story. And I think it was because they didn't know where season four was going to go. So if they wanted to go back to that planet and have Jack Black suddenly be a bad guy or the Duchess suddenly be naive, they can add to that story. But they didn't want to set it up too far in advance because they didn't well, know yeah, if that, they were going to use it. That was my feeling was that uh, they, they wanted to Ivan Soto, it's because he, de he defeated Darth Maul. Well, hold on, hold on. The question in the <laughs> chat from Ivan Soto is, how is Kenobi the real owner of the Darksaber? And uh, Kate is saying, based on the rules of Episode 6, why would it be Kenobi? Because he um, defeated Darth Maul. Because he defeated Maul. Darth Maul, and so it was like if the rules are you defeat the last the you defeat the last person or disarm the last person who had it, it would be Kenobi. Well, the thing that I would say about uh, Dinjar and using the unless dark my saber, lore is off, and if my lore is off, I'm sure the comments will say it, and I'm sorry. <laughs> so I only you know. have uh, so much brain power for only so many fandoms. 
And I am sorry. Uh, using the dark saber to me, every time he used it, it kind of felt like that one brief instant in empire strikes back when Han Solo gets Luke's lightsaber. And he's like, I guess I cut with this. And, you know, he like, he slits open the tauntaun to put him inside. You know, it was almost like, I mean, I, I guess, I guess a sort of blade comes out of here. I got to be careful, you know? So him giving it up, wasn't something that, uh, I don't know. I mean, I could see, if they had done it the right way, I could have been like, oh, this is a really big deal. But it, to me, Frank, it was always like, yeah, he barely uses that thing anyway. You know, it's it's basically just for show. It's almost like having a pair of fuzzy dice uh, hanging up on in a ship. You know, Frank. I mean, it was set up at, at the end of season two. It was such a great potential conflict where it's yeah. Uh, the only way that Bo can get it is by defeating Din. And but you see like the relationship and the friendship that's and the respect that's forming between them. So, you know, it's like this would be an uncomfortable situation were it to come to. To, to blows sure. to be able to get this. So how is this going to actually resolve itself? So I was interested going into season three, how this is all going to pay off. And just to have it, this was probably the the, the least interesting way <laughs> that it could have resolved itself. Uh, it could have been helped better if it had been uh, kind of built up over the course of the episodes prior. But yeah. just, yeah. just to have it kind of resolved so quickly at the end of six, I'm like, that took away one of the most exciting things I was looking forward to. Is like, how is this... Uh, the ownership of the dark saber going to get put back to Bo Katan, and this was the least interesting way that it could have happened. Yeah, I think why it would have been great if Dinjarin realized that there was a spy in, in the covert, and Bo Katan is so obsessed with becoming the new leader of the covert that she doesn't really care about what that might do to Dinjarin, and Dinjarin is doesn't know who he is without the covert. So you have a physical representation of a character's inner struggle with the fact that can he lift it or can he not lift it? Can he fight with it or not? And you have a physical representation of a character's inner struggle, which is always really great. We love that stuff. It's fantastic. Um, but when you have a character that is unable to use a weapon that is like, oh, crap, I'm going to put my son over my covert and make that decision after trying to keep his son in the covert the entire time and Bo-Katan on the, well, the, the Mandalore means more to me than your son does. And that you, than you do, even though you've been my friend this entire season, that's a better, that's a better face off. That means more. And if he loses it that way and has to go on the run and go into hiding, that would be a much better story. Yeah, I think that there were a number of avenues that would have been better than the one they went with. Um, I want to shout out one other good thing from the season, which was uh, the uh, surprise cameo appearance by Zeb from Rebels. Uh, that was fun to yes. see him. And, uh, and I was Dave not Maloney expecting was in the last episode. Yeah. And the interesting thing is I went to the uh, the the Paley Fest for Mandalorian. And I so I saw Dave uh, Filoni in person for the first time ever. So I saw the hat. Oh, sure. But also... Um, I think we've all known people, you know, maybe, you know, college, depending on your workplace, you know, people on set, you see those people who have been burning the candle at both ends for so long that he, no matter, even if he'd gotten 10 hours of sleep the night before, which I'm sure he didn't, they're just so <laughs> frayed and they're so burnt on everything. And I kind of saw him and I was just like, oh, that's what like true and utter exhaustion looks like, you know, because <laughs> of like all the stuff that he's working on. And then it just made me think, I'm like, are they spreading this poor guy so thin? 
you know, he's doing the Ahsoka series and, you know, he's probably got four series that they haven't announced yet. Movies and, you know, who knows, you know, animation, live action, you know, they've got him doing everything. And uh, I I don't know. I was just like, there were things I liked about this season, which we'll we'll get into in a moment. But uh, I uh, I don't know. I just wonder. And, and it's only eight episodes. But I, I guess when you put the and then, you know, if we were to do the runtime for these eight episodes, it's probably, you know, like six episodes of an HBO series, you know, that it, where each week it's kind of a set number. Yeah. But I so I, I don't know. I mean, the, the it's not like such a steep drop off in quality, but it was it was definitely a letdown in a lot of ways. Uh, but what I think I was happiest for, and uh, I had texted a little bit about this with Caitlin, was just so happy for uh, Katie Sackoff, who I loved on Battlestar Galactica, just the amount of screen time she got and the amount of exploration of that character. It came you know, at the expense of Din Djarin, which we can talk about. But uh, I just thought she was so much more interesting in her willingness to be like, no, nah, I'll just, I'll wear the helmet from now on. It's fine. You know, I, I don't like living in my castle by myself. So <laughs> if, if I want to fit in, uh, I was wondering what you thought, Frank, about uh, Bo-Katan, you know, throughout the, the course of this season, but also as she's existed in, in the live action form, you know, when we first met her in Mandalorian uh, through where she is at the end of season three, sort of the, the, the journey, if you will. I I was super excited uh, when she does see the mythosaur. Uh, I just what yeah. that meant for her character because it was I was like, oh wow, this is not what I was expecting to happen in terms of where I thought the the Bo Din kind of conflict would go through the course of season three, but to have Bo come across something that she had kind of brushed off, just uh, be encountered with real proof of of, of uh, you know uh, the beliefs that she kind of like mocked of her from her parents uh, in Mandalore to see come face to face like oh my gosh to see proof and what that changes, how it changes our worldview. Uh, I, I thought that was really interesting to see uh, where that would take the character after that. Yeah. What did you think, uh, Caitlin, what they did in terms of, uh, you know, it, it continuing the story that, you know, began so long ago, you know, this character's arc that began in Clone Wars basically, and, uh, you know, taking yeah. it through till now. I love Katie Sackoff and I really, really love the fact that they, got her back to do the live action version. And she's talked extensively about the difference between doing a voiceover of a character and then having to take the physicalization of that character, which is, it's interesting because Sam Witwer had an opposite experience doing Maul and having to take the, the live action version of Maul, the vocal performance of that actor, and then adjust it for his performance and doing a, a voiceover. And Katie Sackhoff had the opposite where she had right. to look at how they animated her and how to put that in a live action setting. So she actually preferred to be under the helmet because she could do the crazy faces that she did in the booth. And she felt more like the character when she was behind the helmet, um, which I thought was really interesting. No, that is interesting. Yeah. What's yeah. interesting about her is I feel like there's a huge part of her that um, they did not mention and they didn't really go into which is the fact that it's implied in the show how much she's like the mandalorians are stronger together and i think she comes to that conclusion because of her relationship with her sister sabine and sabine was the peacekeeping mandalorian she was the one that was kind of ruling mandalore and and bo katan was the the fighter and she was in death watch her night owls were part of what ended up becoming the children of the watch 
So this kind of terrorist organization was Bo-Katan and she's kind of turning a new leaf. And I think that was a huge part of her character transition that they didn't put in, even if she's like constantly worried, like even if it's not like I'm turning a new leaf as you're watching me, I turned a new leaf off screen, but I'm a little terrified that I won't make the right decisions all the time because I'm not my sister. And that would have added a little bit more internal character conflict of like her sitting on the throne in that first episode. How much of that was her just, I'm trying to keep it together here and I'm trying to be a leader, but I don't know how because everyone I was supposed to lead abandoned me when I lost the Darksaber. So am I really a leader or not? Similarly, in that last episode, when the Darksaber breaks, there's no real consequence of that. There's no real worry of are you all going to leave because the dark saber was broken and I'm the yeah. one who caused it to break. And there's no recognition of like, did he break the Kyber crystal inside of it? Could they reforge it? Because we have seen a broken Kyber crystal reforged into a lightsaber with Kylo Ren, but it breaks the symbol breaks and there's no decision of that has been a symbol of Mandalorians fighting each other forever since it, since its inception. And is it better? Is it a good decision for from all of Mandalore that it stays broken? That is not finished. And I feel like that should have been a conclusion to her story, that they will follow her anyway. Right. And I think that, uh, you know, it was uh, it was an interesting moment in the season where, you know, to overextend Kate's metaphor from earlier that, you know, she's the uh, she's the the reformed Jewish Mandalorian, but you know, she still keeps her devices turned off on, uh, on the Sabbath, you know, she still won't, you know, touch anything. So, you know, yeah. she's like works, both walks in both worlds basically. And she was obviously the one to unite both factions. And, uh, you know, this idea that the, you know, even Moff Gideon couldn't believe that anyone got all the Mandalorians to agree on something, you know, his sort of offhand comment, so I thought uh, getting to see that and, you know, that it wasn't as easy as, hey, everybody remember me. You know, she had to fight her way for it, uh, even though she didn't have to fight for the Darksabers we established. It was just more like, uh, yeah, I took a nap and uh, I guess it's hers now. You know, that's uh, well, I think <laughs> a little bit. I think Go to ahead. expand on that point a little bit, Christian, it's a good point you make that she's the one who puts all the Mandalorians together. But she doesn't do it in a vacuum. She needs Din to support her from the other side. Yeah. And the fact that the pledge comes in episode seven is very, very late. And it's okay to have it there, but she kind of has to, they, they didn't acknowledge in the writing. And maybe they were hoping it would be acknowledged in the performance. But they also have a positive and a handicap in the fact that one of your characters has no face. And it's the... All of the actions that he has done, the pledge basically meant all of the actions I've done for the past few episodes have been because I believe in you. Right. And I know you can't do it without my help. And I know you can't do it without like you can't. It's not up to you to lead us alone. You need everybody and you need support from our side. And I'm willing to be your support and I'm willing to serve you because I believe that you're the path forward. I believe that you are the way and I will do it until your song is written. It's As opposed see, like, to this, yeah. it being this like weird ass kind of like, I will, I pledge my allegiance to you, lady. It felt so like knights to queen as opposed to like warrior to warrior. 
I agree. Because we said even like pause after the armor like says what the deal is with Bo Katana. Like she walks in both worlds and she's cool with taking her helmet off. I mean, pause looks at Mando uh, at Din, just like, are we cool with this? Is this cool? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He just gives him that look of like, yeah, yeah. we're going with this. So I mean, I feel like yes, you're right. He needs it's. Uh, I mean, you know, Din giving like yes, we're 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 sticking with the we're sticking with her. Yeah, and to acknowledge that the passing of the Darksaber, which is how Bo-Katan lost it in Rebels, is she was handed it to by Sabine. It's like to be handed the Darksaber is very frightening because that's how everything went to shit before. So it's the it's the aspect of the reason why I've done all of these things. The reason why I will go, I, I gave you the Darksaber. I helped you in the, you know, build your this diplomatic whatever in episode six. I helped you with the Ugnats. I'm helping you now is because I believe that you can pull everyone together. But also, we don't understand why that matters so much to Din. I think the interesting thing with, uh, you know, Din sort of, you know, basically redeeming himself and the uh, waters of uh, Lake Minnetonka or the waters of uh, Mandalore, as it were, uh, the idea is that this is the first season where we don't, see him with his helmet off at any point unless i'm not remembering nope, something. he did not but take in his the first off. two seasons there's a number of times and it was situational there were times where it's like you're going to go into cover as an imperial you can't wear that dumb helmet he only you know? takes it off three times in the whole show right but i mean he didn't do it at all this season so i no. thought that uh it was clearly it was significant that like you know once he's back on the path once he's back on the way uh it's uh you know he's he's not going to deviate from it uh, let's uh, focus on sort of the, you know, what made this show catch on the way it did the first episode. We haven't really talked that much about Grogu. Uh, what do you feel, Frank, about uh, his arc through these eight episodes? I have some strong feelings, but I want to let you go first. I um, uh, I feel like I, Grogu was great at first, and I feel like I'm running into issues now with Grogu, given that he is of Yoda's race and he is so long-lived that it uh, it makes any sort of growth in that character and change, yeah. uh, it, it makes it, it's like impossible to happen, really. Well, let me just interject for a minute. Frank, uh, you'll be fine in season 600. That's when it's really going to pick up. Yeah, great. He'll, he'll, great. Be, he'll be the character you want him to be in season 600. But anyway, finish your thought that you were yeah. trying to make. Oh, no. So it's just, I, I grew tiresome of it this season where it's just like, I need this character to evolve and grow and be able to interact with Din in a different way than he is. I mean, I, I, as a person like you searching for anything in a, like water in a desert, I will take the little bit that we got in episode eight and to see them interacting as they're fighting uh, off uh, with Buff Gideon and his, and his troopers at the end, we see how they can kind of work together. Great. But that's not, I, I just, I need this character to be able to age and grow and have a different relationship with, Within. And I feel like that's the handicap for this character, given the race that he is part of. Yeah, that he's only like whatever in his like late 50s. 52. Uh, and, yeah, 52. And there's the moment where, you know, they say, well, you know, he's too young to talk and to say the oath. So I thought there was like... Well, can we just see that he can talk? Wasn't that the moment where you I was had... shocked we didn't get a first word. And I arguably mean... people have said he said thanks. And he's <laughs> attempted. This is the way. No. Oh. I, yeah. I, in the I, last I mean, episode, he's like, "Good job, Kenny." Goes, "Thanks." <laughs> <laughs> That's I mean, an argument that has been I, made. It is an argument I disagree with. 
I just wanted, uh, you know, I, I just wanted, uh, you know, some utterance from uh, Frank Oz run through of, of uh, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, voice modifier. Uh, yes, yeah, one of those things. And uh, that would have been great. Uh, but I agree that it, it's. What did you think of the yes, no? The type uh, I thought it was funny at first. I actually thought that it was going to be able to say other things besides yes and no. But I, I thought so. the whole, I was going to call them IG-88, but the IG-11 as like a suit, I just thought it was stupid. And it made me uh, dislike Gruger's storyline because it was like, he's okay. so little, it's very difficult to justify some of those sequences in. So let's put him in this. And I was glad when they when it got destroyed. I was like, all right, so can put we be a jetpack on it, man. Yeah, like, right, exactly. Put a you jetpack on you got it. all this armor. Like, you can build something for him. He doesn't need to have, you know, he doesn't have to have this uh, this this IG eleven suit that he's like squished into. Uh, there was this so, uh, when he gets left behind with the armor in the one episode as they're going to rescue Paz's son, and there's that scene where the armor goes, "Well, come right. with me, Grogu." And he is and so he far outside. The, yeah, he's so far outside the cave. I'm like, yeah. that must have taken him like an hour to walk in and get and meet with her at the forge. Because why? Why did? Why I'm are also we doing shocked this? that didn't come back. That the yeah. Praetorian guard didn't like hit him in the chest, and it almost be like a uh oh, and then you see that he's got the the yes. chest plate. Yeah. Also, no, that, yeah. My thing about about okay. Here's my thing about Grogu. <laughs> he is essentially from Book of Boba Fett rejected the Jedi way to, yeah. to stay with Mando, which means he has an attachment, which means that he is more Sith prone now. And he acts selfishly. And this is probably the most selfish season he's been in. If you want something, he grabs it. If you want something, he just like, like force pulls it to him. He eats everything. He wants his treats. He'll complain. He'll cry. Like he's very Grogu better be careful. He's going to get canceled in season four. Yeah. He's very like instant gratification. And yes, he's a baby, (laughs) but like we also need him to start growing a little bit, but because he's more, we have to see a consequence of the, him using his powers for selfish reasons. And I think a good opportunity they missed was the Praetorian guard because Praetorian guards are like notoriously, the best they're named after the yeah. roman legion and they were they were the red guys from last jedi that that was the good fight that everyone got too tired of um but if like he wouldn't he's they're in that like the 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 war room from you know dr strange loves and he's on the top of all the, the lights <laughs> which i kind of hate that as a shorthand now that everyone uses that internal light structure from right, from right. dr strange love to, to be like, look at this evil war room, guys. Um, I wish that Manjo just watched in the doorway. Like, he feels like he has to go save his son, and his son is just going ham. Force choking uh, the crap out of uh, these people. I did wonder if we... Because he can. Yeah. I did wonder if we were going to get, you know, like, the one of the, the high points for most people in the prequel trilogy is in Attack of the Clones when Yoda just goes off, you know, and then... On you Dooku? Know, and then, yeah, and then and then he you know picks up his cane again and starts limping. But it's like, oh yeah, you know, just like the idea of what he could be capable of. So I did wonder, and you know, there were little flashes of it. But I, I it goes back to what Frank was saying. It's like they've really held back on what he can do. And all right, if he was with Luke for two years, 
I mean, I don't know. Was was Luke on Dagobah for like a week before he I left? I mean, maybe. I don't even think bit. it was a week. And somehow by like Return of the Jedi, he's like this master Jedi, you know? And as like, it's like he didn't even do like the army reserves where, you know, you go on the weekend. You know, I don't even think he put in that much time. So now he's a general. So uh, I feel like Grogu should have been far along and whatever his species is, they're probably, you know, more force prone than a lot of others. So I think it's a little bit of a letdown that uh, I, I don't need him to be, you know, like a killing machine. You know, I don't want, I don't want like a, like berserker Wolverine style. Uh, Grogu. I do. I it would add that. a layer to no. something. It would add no, something. No, no, no. I, but, it, but, you know, if he's like, you know, knocking things over and, you know, knocking people out or killing them that way. I don't want him like ripping somebody, you know, using the force to tear people to shreds. I, I don't no. need any of that from Grogu. <laughs> I mean, yes. Darth Grogu. Sure. Darth and Grogu. Yes, do I it. I mean, season yes, five, maybe. Uh, but uh, yeah, I agree. Imagine it's like, like the AI art that's going to come out of like, I just, I want someone to send one to me. Just like, like, get, send me evil baby, like Darth, Yo Darth baby Grogu. I will love you forever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Ivan like has... Oh, oh, no, sorry. I'll say this and then you get... Uh, Ivan has this point. Grogu is what Ahsoka pretends to be. He's not a Jedi, but still uses his powers where she's a Jedi, even if she says he's not. I uh, just thought that was a good observation. Thank you, Ivan. What were you going to say, Frank? Yeah. Also, why does he get knighted in episode six? He does fucking nothing. Sorry. <laughs> I mean... Into, he just jumped into her, her arms a lot. And that was, it's... And helped like, with that. Oh, you're, cute. you're a knight now. Of this I mean, it's because it, it's because his dad's a celebrity, basically. It's like the real right. world, you know? It's like, why why is why why is Elton John a knight, you know? I mean... It, that would have also been a great opportunity for a little bit of doubt to be sown into how much Jack Black actually gives a crap about the Duchess. Yeah. Where it's well, like I, he I, steps I, forward, I, like Din steps forward to be like, you have a sword pointed at my baby. And it's like, <laughs> no, she does this all the time. It's really annoying. Yeah. She just gives them away so she doesn't have to pay bar tabs. Um, but what was your point going to be, That's Frank, about night people? It's just like about Grogu. Grogu. Like even if you think maybe uh, if when the Ray film happens, uh, you know, ten years after uh, you know the Rise of Skywalker, maybe Grogu could be you know somewhat interactive at that point. But it's like, but it's just a, it's a bummer that you have to wait that long in the timeline. And like yeah, so that's like gone. Maybe what would that be like? So, uh, like Rise uh, new, of Skywalker look, is like twenty years from this point. Thirty, so thirty, thirty, thirty. Okay, so then that's forty. So he's almost a hundred by that point, and you gotta hope that uh, you know he he's he's not being referred to as the child anymore. You know, <laughs> I I think Grogu is or that sort you of, have like she goes to Navarro, yeah, and you get like him in the hut and Din oh, has and just passed and, away and, he, and he's and got he's the, the helmet chief. on the wall. No, Grogu's the like, chief magistrate on Navarro by that year, by you know, <laughs> 10 years after uh, Rise of Skywalker. And, uh, you know, Carl Weathers has passed on. And, uh, you know, uh, oddly enough, his son looks like Michael B. Jordan. But, you know, I'm just coming up with possible uh, possible casting choices. Michael B. Jordan would kill in Star Wars. He would be the I, best. I think I, I think that they probably would look for a better role for him than the one that I just created. Where he's I mean, Carl Weather's son. Uh, but but there's always something about like Star Wars that I think is if for cool for me when you look at the universe and you might see like a, a Wookiee that's a Jedi and you're like, whoa, that's really interesting. How the heck did that happen? I want to know that yeah. story. So same thing with Grogu. 
later on as he gets older, uh, a Mandalorian that is of Yoda's race. Like, objectively, you're like, whoa, that's really wild. How the heck did that happen? And I don't know if we'll ever get a chance to. Uh, yeah, to see but I mean, he right. could, you know, he could have his own, you know, armor, but then maybe he does spend some time actually, you know, being a Jedi. So he's got the armor and a lightsaber, not a dark saber and a lightsaber. I think that uh, what I was going to say about Grogu, it's sort of like. I don't know. I mean, I think they knew what they had in the way of this character, but I don't know that maybe the plan was to have him be around for the entire entire series. I mean, there was a clear out for there was a very clear ending to that story at the end of season two. They didn't even need to go that long. You know, is is Grogu up there with like, you know, Fonzie and Steve Urkel and <laughs> characters that shows weren't supposed to be about, but it's like, well, this is the breakout star, you know, and I'm going to make Ivan Soto mad because I'm going to invoke one of his favorite shows, uh, Gotham. The actor who played the penguin on that show was so good that they felt like they had to have him in almost every episode. I was like, well, yeah. no, that's not what was good about it. He's great. I, I didn't like that show after a little while, but I always thought that actor was great. But I was like, well, we didn't need him every week. You don't try to force its way into yeah. there. So I don't know. I think if they could have had a season where Grogu was off with Luke training and, you know, he could have come back later, that I think it would have been fine in all honesty. I I think he's, well, he's adorable. I think he's a great character. You know, it's uh, the one thing from the Star Wars universe that's most easily identifiable to my seven-year-old and my five-year-old is yeah, they call him Baby Yoda, but that's because most people call him Baby Yoda, you know, but they do both know his name is Grogu, you know, because otherwise there'll be no dinner if you don't know what his real name is. Oh, wow. And uh, just to <laughs> illustrate my point, Ivan Soto is very excited as soon as I mentioned Gotham, but it's the example I was use, and it's just like, I don't know, did we need so much Grogu? And uh, I, I think I didn't feel that in either for an instant in either of the first two seasons. But I think because of where his story logically would have gone, I wasn't disappointed that he was back when the season started. But as it went along, I'm like, I mean, he's got a new ship so that Grogu can like, you know, sit in there with him. You know, there's a just I don't know. It's just well, you have this badass starfighter and you don't use it. Yeah. Like right. you use it like I feel like the first two episodes were like in plan. And the last six episodes were like something happened. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's true. I'm not I, I feel like I don't gossip. know. I'm not an investigative journalist, but I feel like something happened because the first two episodes of this season were very in line with the last two seasons we've got of Mandalorian. Same right. visual style, everything connected, everything made sense. The character development happened. You got good arcs, you got good story. And then after episode three, everything just went haywire and it got into this really kind of dull place where it's almost like they decided to switch vehicles and they were having trouble starting the car. It felt like yeah. every episode, it was like the engine wouldn't turn over. And I'm like, you know, guys, you're at hell. I, I, I remember one of the thoughts you had is that uh, you, you felt like the, uh, the directing left something to be des desired. Yeah. And the surprising thing is what I consider to be the weakest episode of the, the entire series, let alone the season is that sixth episode. And it was directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, who had previously directed some excellent episodes of this show, but uh, Did she? Uh, Carl Weathers directed episode four, which I didn't know until I looked at this list right now. I don't think I noticed that, but uh 
uh, Rick Fumiyawa directed. Well, just let me just point out, Rick Fumiyawa directed most of the episodes this season. He did uh, eight, seven, and one of this season. So yes. that's uh, you know almost half of it. And I'm sorry, what were you going to say, Kate? Well, Rick Fumiyawa is amazing. And he directed arguably the two best episodes of the last two seasons, which was the prisoner from season one and the believer from season two. And that, and, and his episodes reflect that in season three, they've got a similar visual language. They've got a similar visual tone. They've got a similar thematic tone. They're darker, they're grittier. They deal with a little bit of what is the selfishness of this universe? Where does power come from? Um, is is morality black and white or is it a gray area like those are the questions that he's answering in this universe the questions that they tried to answer in the sequel series and they didn't really succeed at because disney needed a binary and and so they they made him an executive producer this season which was great but i i wish that they had made the decision and i don't know why they didn't do this rick should have directed all of them they should have done what they did with 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 uh, with WandaVision and have one solo director set the visual tone, especially since everything else was changing. If they were going to switch their protagonist that suddenly, they needed to keep something the same. They needed a through line. They needed someone on the steering wheel going, I know I'm using a lot of car metaphors, this is where we're going. This is where we are headed. And Rick is a good choice. Rick is a smart director. He's a calm director. He knows how to work with actors. He's a good technician. He understands visual storytelling. And he's solid. Like, he understands how to work within a genre. Not just the space cowboy genre, but, like, you had a prison escape episode and a and a heist movie were his last two basic episodes. So he can work in when the genre shifts. He can work yeah, those I- changes very well. But I think that, uh, you know, what it, it entails to direct, you know, I was going to say an hour, but in, a, in an episode of television, I think the only person that probably could have directed all of them would have been Favreau just because he is, you know, he and Dave are the, you know, the, the masterminds behind it. So you could, you know, it, it's like how showrunners have shows, you you know, uh, uh, Terry Metalis directed the last two episodes of uh, Star Trek Picard. Uh, you know, uh, Matt Weiner on Mad Men would direct the season finale every year. You know, so it's mm-hmm. like your showrunner directs when they can. Uh, but I, I just think it would have been too much. And just the way I described Dave Filoni earlier, just how exhausted he looked, he should direct zero episodes ever. I think he's got too much on his plate. You know, I don't, I don't think he should take that on. I th- um, is, didn't they name Rick as one of the showrunners? Yeah, yeah, I th- I, but it's you know, it's a it, it's a lot. It, it, there's, I think, when it's an interconnected universe and you're going to have all these shows that are going to be you know running concurrently, it'll be interesting to see uh, you know who's actually doing what. You know, I think yeah. that uh, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it's like it, I don't feel like Favreau's working on anything else right now. You know, like he's checked out to do some movies, but maybe he is doing something yeah. Star Wars related. Well, I think um, what they did with the there was an, a director of the first in the first season, Deborah Chow, who took over the entirety of Kenobi. Right. And yes. I feel like now that they've started to set the universe, like Mandalorian could ex- and Mandalorian season one when it came out, it was the only thing. And you can kind of bop back and forth between directors, especially when you've set a, a strong character, a strong overarching arc. You're starting a series and you can 
each episode has a different kind of Western take on it, a Western genre that they're playing in. True. Um, and so you can have like, you can pass off to different directors and see what they do. Almost like an audition to like, where else can we put you in the star Wars universe? And the fact that they have done that with Deborah Chow for Kenobi, which definitely regardless of what you think about Kenobi was structurally and, and thematically sound. It had a visual landscape. It had a visual language that we could all like, this is Kenobi. This is it. Yeah, and, I think and that, snap uh, in. But yeah, they didn't have that for Mandalorian this season, and I feel like it was missing that. Yeah, it wasn't as uh, as unified. And uh, you know what I know. I mean, it. It you know the post production takes you know so long on this stuff. I think that uh, this season was, of course, the first of Mandalorian that would have been heavily impacted by. Uh, COVID protocols with production and, you know, all of that, because uh, just from what they said, that timeline, it, it, because the earlier seasons, they could do whatever they season wanted, two. do whatever they, season two. Season two was filmed peak pandemic. It was, it was filmed then. I thought it was just post-production, but I, yeah. I'll defer to you if that's the case, but then they still would have had those issues with uh, season three. Mm -hmm. uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens next. I, I feel like, uh, you know, there's the Bo-Katan storyline, but I, I don't think Mando and Grogu retiring to Navarro means that, uh, you know, we're we're done with them on this series or movie or whatever. You know, I think that uh, we'll still see a fair amount of them. I, I, I That's my expectations because mm -hmm. they are the characters people like. And I, I'm the one who just said a few minutes ago that Grogu is the Steve Urkel of the Star Wars universe. So clearly <laughs> you're not going to be able to say goodbye to him. Uh, before I get some more thoughts from you, Ivan Soto has this great observation. Din Djarin and Din Grogu are the only healthy father-son relationship in Star Wars. And uh, I read that a few minutes ago and I've been trying to come up with uh, someone else. I mm. mean, maybe... You know, Bail Organa and and Leia, uh, they seem to have a decent relationship. Yeah, that's what I but, was going to say. The Organas, but it's you know he's saying father son, but I'm like I'm 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 just settling on any kind of parent uh, child relationship, you know, and I'm like that's the one I can come up with. Uh, also, I would but, argue Qui Gon and uh, young Anakin. Yeah, but he's not. Not actually father son relationship. I mean, know? okay, I, mean, I, I, bring I would this say up, I bring this up a lot, but are you gonna say that like Iroh was not a father figure to Zuko in Avatar The Last Airbender? Uh, you used a lot of words just there, and it's something that I, I know absolutely nothing about, so I'm gonna say sure because father it's figure, father, because yeah. Din is technically not his father either. No, but he <laughs> adopts him officially, and Bail Organa adopts Leia. Yeah. You know, I mean, so I, I, those Anakin. are those are fathers, I, I think. But anyway, the point is, there's some really bad father-son relationships. You know, I would say that uh, that Han and Ben Solo is actually worse than Anakin and Luke. You know, I think they have a, a much worse relationship. Um, what do you think uh, should should be and will be the future of uh, of this show? I'll ask you first, uh, Caitlin, and then I'll ask Frank the same thing. What? What do you think future seasons of this specific show, Mando season four? I don't know. I think it's going to be about how to actually rebuild Mandalore. I, God, I don't even know. I I can only speculate. Yeah, and I'm well, also that, trying I mean, to be that's, like, that's why we're here. I can only speculate 
but also like I think that taking the right the right hand turn to making it Bo-Katan's story it's like the least interesting thing about it yeah so I would have I I personally I don't know they're not gonna do it they're gonna wait till the movie but I would I would have stayed with Din and and have it have him have him try to like clean up and and work with the new republic finally to do to clean up some of the imperials and start getting a little bit more like investigative of like connecting what is happening in the outer rim to the building of the first order and i thought that would have been really cool to have this like lone gunman start to figure out this story and keep it kind of outside of being you know completely invested and enveloped in it as the star wars movies do but unfortunately i don't know how they're going to get bo katan off of the mandalorian planet anymore and because she's kind of they're kind of stuck there for a little bit unless they do a time jump into the future and mandalore five years later grogu can talk grogu can walk like i i and 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 something happens something hits this new almost rebuilt mandalore and they have to reunite again and have to go solve the problem. But I, I it's the, the, the question now comes is how are they going to get her off the planet? If the story is really about her, if it does stay on the planet, how are they going to make it interesting between all of these factions? Because they've all now decided to work together. So they have to now break that apart in five years. And it's the yeah. struggle to keep everyone together. But is that going to be interesting enough? They still have to connect it to this larger universe that they've started expanding in season three. And the only character that can really be a part of it, they've siphoned to Navarro. And he might not be the main character anymore. So I don't know how they're going to reconcile how to make it interesting without doing a time jump. Well, my takeaway from the way that the season ended was that it was going to be a lot less about Bo-Katan and the other Mandalorians. And that's why... uh, the dins were both sent off and you know the setup was basically like you have to go have your own adventures without any of us in your own series so i I, that's what i expect to have you know not that there won't be appearances and there won't be trouble on mandalore and there won't be reasons for him to go there but i think we'll get some more standalone adventures him helping out the uh the new republic you know for the problems that uh you know, Tim Meadows is just shuffling papers on his desk, making sure he doesn't sign anything because he doesn't want to be responsible for anything. I mean, that's that that's what brought down the New Republic is bureaucracy, it seems like. Uh, what do you think, Frank, about what this specific show, we're not talking about all the, the other potential spinoffs and movies and standalones and who knows what else. What do you think a season four of this show is going to look like? The the interesting thing for me was uh, Buff Gideon meets with all those other folks from the Empire, uh, and you really oh, yeah ready, the Dark know, Council yes, and they're all talking about like how how dangerous it would be if the the Mandalorians head back to Mandalore. So especially when you take Moff Gideon off the table, I uh, I don't know how the rest of them don't go like we've got to just bomb Mandalore into oblivion so it stop this now before it gets any worse. So for me, it's like how does it not become like an ever present thing of like how do these Mandalorians on Mandalore with such low re uh they couldn't even stop it to stop the Empire when they were in at greater strength than they are now. So how would they stop even a, a fraction of the Empire that was just hell bent on making sure Mandalore doesn't rise again? But well, I don't and know I think that the amount of focus there was in conversation, the chatter as it were, in the series about 
uh, where Grand Admiral Thrawn was. And then the fact that the last episode was called The Return, I was like, well, clearly we're going to kill off Moff Gideon. And, then we're, and through the credits, I'm like, well, we're going to see Thrawn. And I know that they've cast him and all, you know, for a live action. And then we didn't get him at all. And I was like, oh, okay. So they just wanted to set that up for somewhere down the road. I, I, I had no reason to not expect him. I felt like they kept talking about him. And it's like, oh, are you even really talking to him? I was like, okay, well, so we're going to show that once Moff Gideon's gone, uh, this bigger presence will fill that void, you know, more than fill it, really. Uh, so, I mean, it's another, I mean, he's going to be in the Ahsoka show, I guess, is where we're supposed to see him. And I think Thrawn was, is, as Thrawn comes in the Ahsoka show. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, for me, it's, you know, if, if does Moff Gideon need to exist in a world where Admiral Thrawn is going to show up? Maybe not. But that still doesn't mean that you can't, invest in him in this season yeah, uh, and not just hit the pedal to the metal in episode seven and eight and rush through him making clones of himself and making him force capable and they're immediately destroyed so rapidly why this season didn't see the moff gideon storyline throughout the season to really at least her payoff at the end seems yeah. you know, if, if he's never going to come back at least treat the character make it more of a a, a richer story in a in a and a, and a more menacing character throughout the course of the season. And that yeah, would be really... It, well, uh, just a quick thought to piggyback on that. Uh, even if it was like, you know, he's only available for two episodes during the season where you could still have told the story without actually showing him. I, I think you're right. Dealt with it a little bit earlier. Uh, it definitely is the part of the season that felt rushed more than anything else. And it, it could have used some time to breathe. What were you going to say, Kate? Also it's a really good opportunity to start using credit sequences in um, uh, Star Wars shows to start connecting the wider universe. So something that the, the phase one of uh, the MCU did really, really well was you start getting this, like no matter what the bad guy is, you start getting like a hint to the next movie or how things all are connecting and Mandalorian and Ahsoka are connected and like, they're, they're like they're starting to build off of their own universe um and it would be it would have been really great to start to kind of get pieces of like what what is coming up next who is the big bad now that we've lost moff gideon especially since this seemed like a pretty tight wrap-up like they've never done that last the little like circle cut that little like on the two of them before that's never been used in star wars so it's like they've they've kind of like set this like this is the picture perfect ending, but we know there's going to be a season four. So it would have been great to have like a look at this picture, perfect, happy family, but here's the next big bad that you all can look forward to in Ahsoka. Yeah, no, I mean, it would have been great if, uh, you know, uh, Nick Fury had walked in and been like, well, 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 Din Djarin, I want to talk to you about the Mandalorian initiative. And, you know, and then <laughs> some variation. I heard your happened. decision, but since it's a stupid ass decision, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. We're not going to do that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, I heard what yeah, you I mean, said. <laughs> they've got so much else coming up that, uh, you know, I mean, they, uh, I mean, they I'm sure they know when we're going to get more Mandalorian, but it's not going to be for a while. No. Uh, and uh, it, I, I don't know. I, I look, they've put him and Grogu together now. So, all right, those are the adventures we're going to get. Uh, I I still more enjoyed the show than I didn't. It just it it was just such a steep letdown from the first two seasons that it was, uh, a, it was a little steep disappointing. 
world expansion and a and a deep and a dive character expansion. Yeah, like the world yeah, and no, I think that you're absolutely right. Yeah, down and we're just like, where are we going? Yeah. So you have a you have an audience. If I don't know if anyone from Star Wars listens to this, if I offended you, I am sorry. But <laughs> I love this universe and I love this fandom and I love this character. So and I'm not the only one who feels that way. So the... please, I would love to, I would love to know. And I think that I a lot of people just felt really lost. The character that they had attached themselves to for not just the two seasons of Mandalorian, but when Boba Fett became Mandalorian 2.5. Like, you have this beautiful character that everyone has attached themselves to that reinvigorated your universe. And people now know a lot more about the world, but they don't care as, no, as much because it's not connected to the character that they cared about. Yeah. And uh, the only person from Star Wars who uh, listens to this show is uh, Bruce Valanche, who wrote the Star Wars holiday special. But uh, so we're always glad to have Bruce, him. you are my hero. I love you. Thank you. For uh, that in any case, piece. I can't wait uh, to see uh, uh, what's next and when we get it. And, you know, there's a lot of shuffling around at Disney Plus. Uh, you know, uh, there's, of course, an animated series coming from Disney Plus that some of us are very excited about. Frank, I know you can't comment, but uh, <laughs> we're excited about whenever we get it. You know, I think I think it's safe to say that uh, we're anticipating a certain animated show. There's live action. You know, there's like two Marvel series that I think we were expecting to have seen already by this point in the year, but we will get uh, we'll get Secret Invasion, and uh, obviously the uh, we we've got Ahsoka, and you know a bunch of bunch of other things coming our way. Uh, but it's going to be a while before we get Mandalorian, and we've got the Act Light coming up too, guys, which yeah, I yeah. am stoked about with a capital S. Yeah. What I mean, you say, Frank? with the Bad Batch ending, I would love oh, another animated series set after Return of the Jedi with Han, Luke, Leia. Give us all those characters that we're never going to get to see again in live action. And tell us that story in between to bridge the gap between the film. Uh, you know, they did a they did a great job uh, with uh, you know about thirty years ago with uh, some novels and comics that uh, that told a lot of those stories with Luke and Han and Leia and Chewie and R two yeah. and three PO, and then uh, they decided to make more movies and you know they kind of shook the edge of sketch on those and the only thing they really kept was Grand Admiral Thrawn. Great character, by the way, but there was some I thought there was some fairly decent storytelling that uh, we got there and. Uh, that was my like, Jade. Uh, the fact that we uh, yeah, that exactly. Fun fact: uh, we had a we had a cat uh, named Mara Jade uh, after oh. that character. So uh, that uh, her name at the shelter had been Mara, and we added to it. So uh, that <laughs> was so that was that was a very popular character in in my house. Uh, but in any case, uh, it, it's uh, it's always fun to be able to talk about these things and. I don't know. Sometimes it's it's like you need to vent about the negatives because I, I, I don't know about either of you. There's not that many people uh, when I'm not doing a show like this that I can complain about the things that I didn't like. You know, occasionally it'll come up in conversation. And this was not the first time that I had mentioned that the Mandalorian turned into the love boat. But I felt like the two of That's you would good. appreciate it. You know, it's uh, <laughs> funny. But uh, but it's also know. good. You know, a lot of people on the on these shows, I feel like I have to end on a positive because I needed a therapy session on this show. A lot of people worked incredibly hard to make the show happen. Absolutely. Like people don't intend to make something bad. 
they, they right, and, I, and, and I, I'm not the saying that they did. Even no, but, and I'm not saying that they did, and I feel bad but, because I feel like I had a therapy session, book, and you know that happens. Book of Boba Fett, I would say that they came uh, fairly close to making just an outright bad show, but I also feel like people were well intentioned and worked incredibly hard on that yeah. show. The VFX just choices people, were made that the, didn't. The, yeah, the production people who who work really hard, the writing staff, the. The everyone who was on the ground, the grips, the lighting department, the transportation office, like you guys are amazing if you work on the show. And I I just I wish the show was better for for you guys. And I wish the show was better for the fans. I hope we get more stuff. And I hope next season we get a oh, that's why they did it that way. And I, I right. hope that I I I am proven wrong by oh, I just didn't understand it. But when we criticize things, we just have to make sure that. It's for the purpose of how can it be better? What would I have done differently? How do we engage with this fandom, especially because Star Wars is a very divisive fandom? We have to be careful, especially when we enter this universe, that we're not just angry because it's not our Star Wars. It's how how does this expand my view of this universe and how can it be better? Yeah, I mean, also, let's not be too precious because for me, the you know my star wars includes both ewoks tv movies uh you know so it's <laughs> you know it's like you know you're not you're not only holding things up to uh you know Frank, happy life holding... day pal well i mean it's a little early for you know that's the thing about life day life day the store starts stocking life day robes uh earlier and earlier every year They're, they Never go heard. they skip thanksgiving they go right no. from halloween to life day and it just uh it's just infuriating and if anyone's but, listening, I want a Dr. Afra series right now. Like, uh, can we just that announce Dr. Afra? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that's, you know, that's somewhere there's a, there's an email thread that, uh, you know, Dave Filoni's on, you know, deep in, you know, the, he's like got a pitch for season six of Dr. Afra. Just so keep, 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 oh God, oh God, what's his name? Um, keep Christensen in the suit. Keep hating, hating in the Christ suit. Hating Christensen. And then yeah, just yeah. like, give me Dr. Afra <laughs> With the cool, with the two psycho droids and the, the big Wookiee, like, just do it. Yes. I do. Yeah, I do like the big Wookiee. Um, but anyway, there'll be, yeah, there'll be more to talk about, uh, you know, later in, in the year. There's always, there's always, uh, the Star Wars shows I feel like are easier to uh, discuss in bulk. Having done a, a weekly Mandalorian uh, reaction show for After Buzz the first season was fun, but there were Hard. those weeks where you had like 28 minutes of story to talk about, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, it's uh, and and I feel like it's easier to judge you know, because I talked about this that I think I had a very different reaction to Kenobi than a lot of people I knew because I was traveling when it premiered. I fell behind, so I just waited for it to end and I watched it all over like a day and a half. And I'm like, oh, I really liked it. It, it, because I, I didn't have the weeks between episodes to let it sit in of like, here's what I didn't like. And that's another one of those things where it's like, you know, Ewan McGregor puts on the robes and, you know, he sits and reads the Imperial phone book. I'd probably enjoy that too. You know, so <laughs> the bar was set very low uh, right up there with Ewok's caravan of courage, but that's the end of our conversation uh, for <laughs> this installment. Uh, if people want to keep in touch, uh, Frank, People are going to want to know, where can I find you? Besides on the next Blackcast, uh, talking about uh, Star Trek Picard. Where yeah. can people find you apart from that? Uh, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at uh, HappyGoJackie. And uh, hopefully uh, X-Men will be out uh, before the end of the year. Fingers crossed. 
Fingers crossed. And, Wait, what? Uh, speak, speaking of X-Men, uh, Kate, where can people find your film? I did a Rogan Gambit short film, Frank, that, you know. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So you can find oh. it on Instagram at Uncanny Film. Um, and you can also find it on, it on my page at Cornellable on Instagram. You can find it on YouTube, the Uncanny and X-Universe fan film. Uh Everywhere. And Alexa Capiello was in that. She played Rogue for you, right? Happy Cappy's in it. Yes. Happy big, Cappy. Big, who... My my lovely, lovely roommate, ha- my lovely, lovely friends. Love her to death. Uh, Happy um, Cappy. At, uh, Universal. So yeah. that's, that's awesome. Stuff. Yeah. She kicks ass as Rogue. Yeah. She's so exactly. her performance so is the, incredibly layered. It's, the, I, I'm so excited. The for her. Universal Tour Guide uh, fraternity, uh, just uh, all inclusive. And uh, and Frank, I know sometimes you do stuff with our pal uh, James Lott, uh, who we knew from After Buzz. Are you still doing a, a, a General Hospital regularly, or is that more like once in a while? Uh, still regular. We'll be back this Sunday with another hot edition of. Uh, the soap that you, you know, is anybody still watching? I am, but yeah, you know, if you want to talk about it and join us on Sundays, I've told you this before, but it, it's uh, I feel like for people that stick with soap operas, it's like for my grandmother, General Hospital, she started watching when it first premiered, whatever, in the 50s or early 60s. And it was like, the, especially when my grandfather retired, their life revolved around making sure that they were either back at their house by three o'clock, which is when it aired in, in, in New York and New Jersey, or they had to stay at our house for dinner because it was like, you know, they, they had to leave early and make sure they got back home. Yeah, there were, you know, cause there weren't VCRs. And then at their house, there were, there wasn't one either. And it's just like, I, I don't know. It gets to be at a certain point where it's like, you stick with a show like that. Uh, how long have you been watching general hospital, Frank? I'm fascinated. Uh, probably 20 years. Thanks to my grandma. My, my yeah. grandma got me sucked in. Yeah. And it's like, it, you know, now if you were to like miss something, you can catch up on episodes. But, you know, there that point of like if you miss like Wednesday, you're going to be lost for like the next two months because you're like, what happened? Did they, yeah. right. Weren't they trapped in an elevator? How did they get out? I don't know what happened. Yeah, that's sort of it. But anyway, uh, I think it's uh, I think it's great. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, uh, I know James has a lot of shows over there and, uh, he was always, he was always a great presence over there at after buzz as was our pal, Frank Moran. And it's delightful to get to talk to you again. Plus uh, you know, strange nice new worlds is, uh, starting up in strange new worlds is starting up in about you know, seven weeks. So don't uh, we'll be even, able to talk about I'm, I can't contain myself right now. <laughs> I would like the ship to go now yes <laughs> like i can't i also have a podcast called the final frontier where i interview scientists about science fiction so that's my other thing and i love and where can people know. find that on the geekscape network perhaps yeah, on the geekscape network perhaps and i will i'm restarting it because i got distracted by making an x-men short film speaking of uh the geekscape network our pal connor and i will be uh, over there on sunday uh talking about oh my gosh my green screen green screen oh, so you can't nice. see that here's the face of uh, adam warlock but it's a story called the infinity entity which it ended in oh, such yeah. a way that i'm like oh now we have to do uh, also read the infinity finale uh, because it's really just set up another story. They didn't realize, but uh, for people who can actually see, Oh, there it is. I eventually got it. Ellen Davis. How can you go wrong? Yeah. And, and Ron Lim, 
that was uh that was that was what what hooked me and uh yeah alan davis's work on uh, excalibur uh is still uh beloved in my mind but none of that's right now <laughs> that, that, right now we were just talking about uh, mandalorian and uh on our next audio episode it will be a uh as i described it earlier an oreo triple stuffed edition where we really dive in to star trek picard and uh this is going to be the episode from people who liked it then we're going to have another episode where i talk to people who absolutely hated it so that's always fun too but the the positive one frank for once you're part of the positive frank is the ray of sunshine a very and Tom rare Kelly thing. and David Weiss are the uh, the rain on our parade for all those of us who enjoyed Star Trek Picard. So please check that out next time. And we will see you next time on The Blackcast. <laughs> oh, fuck. to the Bladcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Bladcast. That's B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T. You can also subscribe to the audio version wherever podcasts are found. Like The Bladcast on Facebook, follow at Bladcast on Twitter and Instagram, and of course, the man responsible for what you just heard is on Twitter and Instagram at ChristianDMZ. I'm Farad Muhammad, and if you want me to voice your podcast intro, you can find me at Twitter and Instagram at F-A-R-D- M-U-H-A-M-M-A-D. We will see you next time on the Bladcast. Well, this has been the Bladcast. I am your host. (laughs) You can find me at Christian DMZ. Jeff Duray, not on Twitter. The Bladcast. Welcome to the stream. Who are you? One of the best podcasts you can ever see, the Blackcast. Whoop-dee-doo, we're watching it. We got no Wi-Fi. We can't hear a thing, but we love it. Go watch the Bladcast with me and Carl. It was a great show. Who was the guest that got Cardiff to do the uh, mommy drinkers thing? Oh, I don't remember. Christian Blood. Christian Blood. Are you ready to play to catch an alien? Christian? That's me. <laughs> Who I've never heard <laughs> hey. of before? When I was talking to Christian Blatt, good luck with the whole thing. And, you know, here's to another 500. Get you to 1,000, you know, which is more than 500 last time I checked. One of Christian Blatt's favorite people in here to talk to one of his other favorite people. Hello, fellow favorite person of Christian Blatt. How are you? Hi, other fellow (laughs) favorite person of Christian Blatt. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. We're closed. (laughs) 